Hello, friends. Wherever you're joining us from today, just so glad you could be part of this online liturgy. And as in each weekend of Lent, the high point of this liturgy is a meal of communion that we'll receive together uh, after we look at God's Word. And today, we're addressing an uncomfortable, painful topic and issue that's tragically prevalent too often within the church. So let's begin with our scripture passage. We're in the book of Romans in chapter 15. And as we come to it, remember, this is the word of God. And this is what Paul writes beginning in verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now, our passage today is a continuation of the Apostle Paul's exhortation to the Roman church to walk with grace, encouragement, and understanding of one another, even when disagreeing about secondary matters of our faith. So Paul here continues to exhort them towards unity. And we know that the unity of the body of Christ, the church, was also a prayerful passion and longing of Jesus, our King. In fact, in the hours before he was arrested, tried, and crucified, Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And in that moment of just incredible grief and concern, so traumatic that it caused Jesus to sweat great drops of blood, this is what was on Jesus' heart. This is what Jesus prayed to God the Father in that moment. Listen from John chapter 17. Jesus prayed this in verse 18. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent my followers into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. And what will the result of that kind of unity be? So that the world may believe you have sent me. The longing of Jesus' heart as he prepared to head to the cross was that we, his followers, his church, would be one. And that unity would therefore be a declaration to the world that Jesus was sent to us by God. That's why we have Jesus' prayer from John chapter 17 out on the reconciliation rock that we have just outside the entrance to our church facility here in Walden. It's just another way to remind us of how central unity is to be in our life and ministry as a church body. And hear me, not unanimity, not uniformity, but unity. So in light of some of the troubling news we've heard in recent weeks, months, and years about leaders in the church across denominational and church tradition lines, 
I want to address today a specific matter of deeply wounding and scarring behavior in the body of Christ. And I'm referring to the distressing instances of sexual abuse and harassment that have taken place by even some of our most prominent Christian leaders that are coming to light. We've heard it tragically about Roman Catholic priests and nuns abusing children and others who are under their care in their parishes and the residential schools. It's just gut-wrenching to hear. But this is far from only being a problem in the Roman Catholic Church because we also have heard about prominent Protestant leaders and pastors accused of abusive and harassing behavior of others. And I don't think I need to list names because I'd imagine we've all heard. And even within our own evangelical tradition and the grief of hearing of pastors and other leaders and several of them being individuals I grew up admiring for their ministry, but hearing of them accused of sexual abuse and harassing others within the church and outside of it. It has so sadly come up or been revealed again and again that as we come to this text today, we want to say something about it. And I realize that just bringing up this topic could be triggering for some in light of your own experiences. So let me be clear as we consider this topic. Wherever we have seen or heard of sexual abuse or violence, it's always been an offense to God. It is always a shattering of God's redemptive hopes for humanity. Always. So it feels appropriate to address this topic and these sinful actions within our own faith and tradition. Otherwise, we could be miscommunicating that we don't think sexual abuse or harassment in the church is that concerning. Now, you might not think that a passage like this on unity would be a prompt to talk about abusive harassing behavior in the church, but I believe it is. Because walking together in unity is not merely about choosing to understand and honor different views that others hold on certain matters. But it is also about, at really at its core, respecting others, loving others, obeying Christ to lift one another. It is being sanctified in truth, as Jesus prayed in John 17, so that we, as a community of Christ, can authentically be a welcoming community. As Paul says in Romans 15, where those who come, truly, regardless of background, age, gender, whatever, where they will feel built up in courage and certainly safe as they gather with us. Because we want to be both a holy and a safe community. And let me add as I say that, part of the motivation for talking about this topic has come from hearing the stories from many within our own church body who have experienced abuse or harassment in their lives, whether as a child, youth, adult, whatever the setting. And for those of us who have not had to endure those kind of experiences, 
I don't think we can fully realize how horribly wounding those experiences have been for others. And when that abuse happens within the church or by a Christian leader, it adds a whole other layer of pain, trauma, even shame, because it's the church, which is supposed to be the place of greatest protection, safety, grace, and love. But our churches far too often, not always, but far too often, have not responded to accusations of sexual abuse well and have not walked with those who have experienced sexual abuse well. So looking at this topic, I think it assists us in walking in unity. Now, there is so much that can be and really needs to be said about this beyond what we can say in our time today. But today, really, I just would like to consider and address three questions. One, what do we say about this issue? Two, why is this happening in the church and by Christian leaders? And then third, what are we doing at Southview to prevent and protect against sexual abuse happening here? Okay, three questions. So our first question. What do we need to say about sexual abuse that has taken place within the Christian church and even among some Christian leaders? And we want to say clearly, and I say this on behalf of our elders and pastors, that sexual abuse, violence, or harassment is horribly wrong. We want to make it perfectly clear that we as a church stand against any kind of sexual abuse or violence and that we won't tolerate it in our midst. I mean, sexual abuse, it's not a small matter. I mean, for those within our church family who have been victims of abuse, I want to make so certain that you hear, we grieve with you. We declare with you how wrong this is. And also that you are not to blame for the abuse you experienced. Let me say that again. You are not to blame for the abuse you experienced. There is never an excuse for one person abusing another. And we want to stand with and support you. And want you to know we are working to do all we can to be sure that this doesn't take place here. Now, for our elders and staff, protecting the vulnerable in the church is rightly, that's one of our highest priorities because it's always been one of God's highest priorities for his people. This is just who our God is. In fact, James 1.27 tells us that protecting the vulnerable, meaning the weak, the orphan, widows, victims, is, that is right at the heart of the gospel. But the statistics around sexual abuse from numerous studies are so disturbing. As Dr. Anna Salter explains, if approximately one in four women and one in six men have been sexually abused as children, which is actually a fairly conservative estimate. This means that our churches are filled with abuse survivors. For example, she writes, a church of 200 members, 100 men, 100 women, will likely have at least 41 
child sexual abuse survivors, just over 20% of the congregation. Yet, she says, sexual abuse is still too seldom talked about inside our churches. And so Dr. Salter rightly challenges, how would your church respond if 20% of your congregation had cancer? Or 20% of your congregation had lost a child? Or 20% of your congregation had been fired from employment? So, how do we respond when likely somewhere around 20% of us are survivors of child sexual abuse? Which leads to our second question. Why does abuse like this happen in the church or by Christian leaders? And we're prompted to respond it's because we're all fallen, all sinful. I mean, we all could fall in this way. And indeed, without question, we all do battle with our pull towards sin. And any, every one of us could fall. But I think that response too easily allows us to overlook some of the other significant reasons we see abuse and harassment existing in the church. Because as we face the very real concern of sexual abuse in our day, it's critical we understand how churches too often repel those who are hurting. And why is that? Why would those who have been abused, those who are hurting, feel repelled by the church? Let me list several reasons that Mary DeMuth explains in her research and writing on this topic. And Mary herself was a victim of assault and abuse as a child. She's a devoted follower of Jesus, and she's been ministering and teaching for several decades on this issue. And she points in her writings to 13 reasons why victims of sexual abuse tend to leave the church. And, and let me just note four with her insights about them. And Mary explains, for one, in the church typically, we are naive about trauma. We're naive about trauma. Because we don't understand the nature of trauma, we tend to expect victims to get over their abuse just quickly. But let's understand, science shouts to us that the impact that trauma has on us, it's not just on the emotional level, but it's also physiological. It impacts our brain, our bodies, physically. That's why it can be truly a decades-long process to work through trauma like sexual abuse. But so few in the church want to acknowledge that reality. I mean, one survivor aptly put it this way. The church doesn't really know how to support survivors. They usually take the take two scriptures and please don't call me about this in the morning approach. Nothing says it's okay to leave a church community like having members of your spiritual family look away from your broken, bleeding life. And we therefore also tend to kind of throw Christian platitudes and verses at the broken. So we tell abuse victims, I mean, that was so long ago, just get over it. 
Or we might say, hey, the old is gone, the new has come. So if you're dwelling on the past, you don't have faith. Or we might say, hey, God, after all, will work all of this for good. Which is true, but none of those pat answers really dignify the very real pain and abuse that a victim experiences. And they offer really just kind of superficial band-aids to a festering, traumatic internal wound. Okay, so then a second reason why victims of sexual abuse often leave the church is we never talk about abuse from the front of the church. We never talk about abuse from the front of the church. Mary DeMuth explains, in nearly four decades, I can count on one hand the number of times a story like mine, and again, she was assaulted as a child. I can count on one hand the number of times a story like mine has been shared from the pulpit. Even though I knew the sexual assault stats, I felt utterly alone. Therefore, friends, we need to hear real stories of people who have endured trauma, who are walking through it. Otherwise, those who are hurting will primarily look outside the church to find companionship, to find solace. Okay, then a third reason why victims of sexual abuse tend to leave the church is this. We elevate forgiveness over justice. We elevate forgiveness over justice. We expect victims to forgive before there's justice or accountability for the abuser. You know, I, I talked to a victim of abuse this past week who experienced exactly this. I mean, there have been stories of pastors bringing the abuser and the abused into a meeting for the sake of reconciliation. And the perpetrator, who can be great at play-acting remorse, apologizes then prompting the pastor to tell the victim to forgive in that moment or be faced with becoming bitter or walking in sin. You know, one survivor perfectly captured this scenario. He said this, churches want to offer forgiveness to perpetrators without justice and they expect silence from survivors without justice. <laughs> okay, then a fourth reason why those who have been abused in life can feel rejected by the church. It's because we push away the wisdom of survivors. We push away the wisdom of survivors. And instead of seeing abuse survivors as tutors for us, really leading us toward becoming compassionate representatives of Jesus, instead of that, we repel them. But they are the ones who understand the dynamic of our weakness married to Christ's strength. But we would often, too often, rather silence their voices so we can pretend that everything's just okay. I mean, we forget that they are deeply valuable to the life of the growing church. As I already mentioned, one of the prompters for this message came from some of our own staff members who have experienced abuse in their lifetimes. And they were incredibly helpful to me, 
even as we reflected and prayed through this. I mean, as, as ones who love the church then, we grieve that the church has too often pushed away those who are hurting. And I truly pray that we will look at ourselves and our systems honestly. I mean, can, humbly choosing to repent of our lack of response to the broken. Okay, now, that is far from a comprehensive list of the reasons, but those are some of the significant reasons why those who have been abused and those who are burdened for those who have been abused can feel repelled by the church. Reasons that I feel I and we truly need to hear and respond to. So then our third question. Okay, so what have we done? What are we doing to prevent abuse or harassment from happening here at Southview? And on this I'll say, we are still learning. We need to learn. We are seeking to learn. But these are some of the steps that we've taken, some of the preventative and protective measures that we have in place here at Southview. I mean, over these past recent years, we've taken numerous different steps to learn and really to hopefully also create a safe culture within our church and ministries. And I'll just note six of these steps, just so you're aware. For one, know this. I mean, all of our pastors have gone through harassment and abuse prevention training as required by our district office of the Alliance. You can't be credentialed with the Alliance without going through that. Secondly, for anyone serving on our staff, whether a pastor or not, each staff member has to also go through our own in-house safe ministry training, truly to equip them in abuse and harassment prevention and education. Third, additionally, for all of our staff, we have a code of conduct moral integrity guideline that's in place. We have harassment and abuse prevention policy for our staff. We have a safe ministries policies manual for the sake of training staff and other leaders within our church body. And then at the start of every ministry year in the fall, all staff walk through all training and documents and must sign an agreement to our stated policies and procedures. And then additionally, this. All of our ministries follow the extensive guidelines and requirements of Plan to Protect. And Plan to Protect, it's actually an international organization that's focused on abuse prevention and protection. And, and truly, providing the highest standards of abuse prevention for those serving the vulnerable. And then, fifthly, this. I mean, all staff and anyone volunteering to minister with children, youth, or the vulnerable at Southview, all of them are required to have a police background step check. Really just to provide another level of protection. Now we realize that all these steps, they don't eliminate abuse. They don't guarantee abuse won't happen. But they're hopefully a significant part of preventing it and guarding against it here in our own church family. And, and so you might ask or wonder, so what guidelines do we have in place that direct us if there is an accusation of sexual abuse or harassment against a congregation member or a staff member? 
And regarding staff and pastors, in addition to the in-house guidelines that I've just explained to you, guidelines and processes for responding to sexual abuse accusations have been laid out by our Alliance national and district offices that we are required to and want to follow if that situation comes up. And these processes follow the recommendation of the Canadian Center for Christian Charities and other outside organizations, which really provide clear guidance and protocols to churches and nonprofits on these matters. Then additionally, if, if there's an accusation of abuse against a congregation member, there also, we have specific steps in reporting that are followed in the investigation of any accusation, again with the guidance of the Alliance, both on a district level and nationally, as they walk with us in this. And let me add, and out of all this, I hope you hear the following. Every accusation is treated very, very seriously. We want to be a church who listens to, validates, respects, and honors those who are victims. And finally, I want to say again, if you've been a victim of abuse in your life, we grieve with you. We want to support you. We want to walk with you. And it, if you've experienced sexual abuse or violence or in any way experienced a consequence of your voice or dignity not being honored, God's here for your healing, for your restoration as long as it takes, because God treasures you. He treasures you. He has no shame for you. He knows it was not your fault. You know, I realize that simply bringing up this topic again, it could be a trigger for those who've been abused. And again, if we can support you, please let us know. Please call or email one of our pastors. We don't want you to walk alone. And also, if you ever have or do experience abuse or harassment here at Southview, please let us know. Again, we want to address any situation that has been wounding or damaging, and we want you to have support in this. In response to more news of other church leaders who've been found to be guilty of patterns of sexual abuse. A woman named Lisa said in a blog post just two weeks ago, I am grieved by the continued revelation of sexual abuse by some church leaders and the system of denial that often accompanies it, meaning the cover-up, the sympathizing with, and the defense of the predator and the vilification of the abused. As one who loves Jesus, she wrote, these revelations challenge my views of the church. So I can only imagine how the unbeliever might view the church and all of us who profess Jesus as our Savior. So, O oh Lord, we pray. Please lead us in health, in grace, in love, and in unity. And we ask, Father, for your healing strength for those who have been victims and are survivors of this horrible sin against them. 
And we therefore, friends, we run to this table. Because Jesus says, he says it again to you today. Come to me, all you who are weak and heavy burdened. I will give you rest. Because Jesus suffered for you. So he understands your suffering. He suffers with you. So remember, in this meal, we do not only remember what Jesus has done for us, but also we receive from Jesus in this meal spiritually. We are fed spiritually by Jesus in this communion. I mean, in this meal, we might find what we need to move forward into whatever we face in the coming week. So let's come to the table. Let's come and receive from Jesus. And as we come, we remember, we take the bread and we break it, remembering his sacrifice for us. We take the cup to remember the extent of his suffering. And Father, we pray to you as we take bread and cup in our various locations today, would you feed us spiritually with this, we pray. And so therefore, I invite your friends to take the bread you have with you, whatever its form, and if you would take that, and before you eat it, hear these words, the body of Christ broken for you. Take and eat. And then likewise with the cup. As we come to the cup, we remember those profound words expressed and which have been expressed for 2,000 years, the blood of Christ poured out for you. Take and drink. Amen. Would you pray with me, friends? So, Father, we come with thanksgiving that you care for us. You know suffering. You are acquainted with grief. And so my, for my brothers and sisters who perhaps have walked in or are walking through deep grief, perhaps even seeking healing from abuse they experience, I pray your hand over them of comfort, of guidance, of wisdom as they seek to walk this path. And I pray above all, Father, they would know your love for them your grace for them, how you treasure them. By your spirit, lift them up as they walk a path towards healing. And this we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus and all God's people say, amen. Amen. So glad you could join with us today, friends. Hope you can join with us also next weekend. And let me say, if the matter we've discussed brings up things you'd like to talk with someone with, please contact us at the church office. We want to walk with you, support you in whatever you are enduring. And now as you walk into whatever this week does hold for you, now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.